Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is produced in association with Jazz Times. The New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival returned last month with a bang after a two-year pandemic-caused hiatus. This joyful moment was followed by the release of the new documentary, Jazz Fest, A New Orleans Story, which honors the festival's 50 years of celebrating New Orleans music, food, and culture. The film weaves together live performances and interviews from the 50th anniversary in 2019, along with historic footage from earlier days, showing how the festival was created and how it grew to an eight-day event with 500 bands. I talked with five-time Academy Award nominee Frank Marshall, who co-directed Jazz Fest, A New Orleans Story, with Ryan Seffern, and with him, Jimmy Buffett, who is an executive producer on the film, along with Quint Davis. Frank Marshall and Jimmy Buffett met 42 years ago at a memorable party at Harrison Ford's Aspen home and became fast friends. Their shared love for music, guitar playing, and New Orleans made their collaboration on Jazz Fest, A New Orleans Story, a natural. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I talked to Jimmy the night after his concert at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. He was still in New Orleans, I was in Sag Harbor, and Frank Marshall was floating around the Bahamas on Jimmy's new cruise ship, Margaritaville at Sea. Jimmy, you just played last night. Tell me about it. Yesterday afternoon at Jazz Fest, yeah. We played at 3.30 out at the fairgrounds, and it was... uh, it was quite inspirational and a lot of fun and very hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it had to be emotional, I would think, because, very. I mean, aren't you finding, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know I found this for myself, just every gig now seems emotional coming back after this. Yeah, Talk it about is. that. Well, the thing of it is, it's like coming back the way we came back. We were, you know, I mean, I've done everything like running a boat. So when we had, it's like a, you know, it's like a boat in a storm. You got to be very careful where you're going. So we kind of, we did this very slowly. And uh, actually, Frank, Frank played on our first gig. Yeah. Uh, At at the Belly Up, we were a four-piece band of 40 people. And, uh, but Frank, who pops up occasionally, uh, popped up on that one, and so we started there, and uh, it was just, and the the story I'll tell you was we had not seen each other as a band for almost two years, but we did a lot of Zooming and and, and used that to play for fans who were on front lines and just fans in general, and we created shows on Margaritaville TV and, and Radio Margaritaville, but we hadn't seen each other. What happened was we started up, and... Uh, and the thing of it was, we had not played, and we rehearsed in Mike Udley's uh, living room, and we started playing, and the three of us there, and then Mac McAnally and Eric Darkin were, were zooming from, from uh, Nashville. But we just all broke down crying. Uh, it was just that emotional. Because uh, we hadn't, you know, that's my road family, basically. But we hadn't seen each other, but to hear each other play, it did. It just made you do it. I get goose pimples right now. And those goose pimples have been there from that day 
till yesterday. Uh, it, and but we've built it back up and stayed safe. And then <laughs> until the last two days, <laughs> when everybody went down, we lost the reeferets. We lost uh, Pete Mayor. No, they're all okay, but we couldn't use them. And we and but most of all, we lost our tour our tour accountant. <laughs> so that that was a big loss. <laughs> Now we're talking about the reality. (laughs) Listen, I don't care whether you got four people or 45 people, per diem is a big deal. Oh, man. (laughs) But anyway, going to New Orleans, like I said, you know, if you're – if you have a wreck on the road or you have a flat tire and, and you need a spare, New Orleans is a, a great place to find a spare tire. So in just a minute or and literally in a day and a couple of phone calls, we got uh, Alan Toussaint, or the great and late Alan Toussaint, his band, his son runs the band, Reggie, and Susan and uh, Elaine, her, their great singers, filled in for the Coral Reeferette. Sonny Landreth filled in. Uh, he was going to do a couple of songs. He said, how many songs you want me to do? I said, originally four, but how about 18? (laughs) So that happened. And then we put it, and then the Caroline Jones was playing with Zach Brown, who substituted for Willie Nelson, and she came on. So that's, you know, and if you think about it, it was musicians in the beginning that gave people hope. And from that to yesterday to 60,000 people just having a ball yeah, I came home after that, and I felt like I'd I'd gone a couple of rounds with uh, with Muhammad Ali. I said, I'm gonna lay down and have a little nap. I slept for two and a half hours in the afternoon. I've never done that. an 18-year-old virgin Jesuit altar boy, and I came to New Orleans to not be that. I come here each season. We couldn't get to California, so we kind of hippied out right here in New Orleans. My guest, Jimmy Buffett, from the film Jazz Fest, A New Orleans Story. I'm talking with Jimmy and Frank Marshall about this new film. Frank co-directed with Ryan Suffern. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Jimmy talked about the difference playing now after being isolated from the pandemic. In airplane terms, it's like, you know, you've got, you've got an energy that we're all familiar with on getting on stage, and we know our crowds, and we know when they're having a good time, and that's what they come for. But it's like the afterburners are on. They're at a level kind of two or three decibels above where you would ever be. And that's been every show we've done so far. And then you put, that's the biggest crowd we worked to at 60,000. And it was pretty amazing. Yeah. It just shows you the power of music to me. I mean, it gets that simple. I think people don't even realize how much this has affected them. I know that because we're all trying to get through it. 
and then you get out there and the emotion really hits you. And I'm curious, I want to hear more about you playing, Frank. Now, what was this? You said you started out slowly and you did for 40 people. What was this? Tell me more about this. This whole thing has been obviously unprecedented and unbelievable experience. And and we sort of had the same thing going on with the movie when the last time we were kind of uh, together was uh, when we did, when we shot the 50th anniversary of Jazz Fest. So that was three years ago. And then we all went along normally finishing the movie um, and then everything shut down. And then, and I I just want to thank Sony Classics Pictures right now because we vowed together to wait until we could see and hear this movie in a movie theater. And they have been great about that and they have been pushing back the release date and pushing it back. And I finally got to see it with an audience uh, last month at South by Southwest when we had our world premiere. And I had the same feeling that Jimmy had when he was standing up there on the stage that, oh my gosh, for the first time in two years, I'm experiencing a movie the way I used to. And people were up dancing in the aisles. It's the perfect comeback movie. It's the perfect cure for COVID. It's the perfect antidote. It is joy and happiness and celebration the way only music can bring to you. I was so lucky to be able to come up and and have that experience uh, musically at the Belly Up uh, down in, in Del Mar. Uh, and it was like a dam broke. I mean, it was it was a strange experience. And and Jimmy had to actually tell the audience what to do because they didn't know they could get up. They didn't know they could sing. Oh. I started and I was we had gone. We had broken down emotionally, like I said, in, in our rehearsal. So I, I kind of. You, know, you get a sense of that as a performer that that that, that, that that's what's going to happen, and I kind of gauged that you know going up there, but but then the adrenaline hit me because I hadn't been on stage in so long, and I, I shot out of there like a cannonball, and I looked over at Frank, I said, I'm way too far ahead of these people, and I just went, <laughs> and I said, stop, I said we're going to do this again, and I'm going to explain some things to you because they were like it was like Frank said, it was forty people. It was 10 tables, four people at a table. So I, it was like being a camp director. And I said, okay, so here's what's going to happen. Um, we're going to play. You can, you can dance, but you need a couple of tiles between, in, in Creole, I was saying, called Cole Sere, which means dance on one tile. It's like stuck like glue. I said, so you stick on your tile and leave two in between. You can't dance on the table. Yes, you can drink. Uh, you can stay 45 minutes after, but you can't go around. So I had to, it was like being a camp, camp cancer. And we yeah. started again. So we just started again with the same song. And by the end, they, they started feeling better. And then, yeah, by the end, those 40 people were our first audience. And you saw, you saw the compression of the jubilation Frank's talking about that I saw yesterday to 60,000 people to those 40 was exactly the same. Say now I 
I'm talking with Jimmy Buffett and Frank Marshall about the new documentary about the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival called Jazz Fest, A New Orleans Story. Jimmy and Quint Davis are executive producers on the film, and Frank co-directed it with Ryan Suffern. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. And about the film, I just want to say what was so great for me is how you captured that energy. Because I've seen, well, we've all seen lots of music documentaries, things like this. But what I think, personally, what I think is so special about Jazz Fest is this combination of so many kinds of different kinds of music, the energy, bringing that all together. And I know, and I can say this even as a jazz musician who's done lots of jazz festivals and has worked with George Ween in my early years, all of that, that (laughs) jazz musicians would always put down as things have evolved over the years. It's gotten to where more jazz festivals are not just jazz. And so they'll say, why are you bringing in the other things? But to me, it always made sense that New Orleans had all of these kinds of music because number one, jazz has lots of influences, which, you know, but New Orleans has always been, if I can say it this way, bigger than just jazz. It has has. more influences than any city I can think of, you know, being a port city next to the Caribbean. I want you to speak to that. That's something you captured so beautifully, I feel, in this film. I think that's what's special about Jazz Fest. And as uh, Alice Marcellus says, is not just jazz. It's There's no specific genre. And that's what's so great about when you go to the festival, you can, you know, there are sounds and smells coming from everywhere. And uh, that's what I love about it. And the, uh, you know, and then the city itself also becomes a character in the movie. So um, it, it was just a, an exciting uh, way to show the culture and, and the heritage, as well as all based around this music. I don't know in New Orleans before Jazz Fest. I was born in 1971. I'm actually a Jazz Fest baby. I was born January 26th. You know, count back nine months, it's pretty much Jazz Fest. You know, I'm not the only one. There's a lot of January babies.
I like you talking about the sounds and the smells because I know the the big part that food plays. I had Paul Prudhomme on the show years ago, and he <laughs> talked about that. You know him, and he was just so fantastic. We were talking about. Well, it turned into like a conversation about sex, talking about music and food, <laughs> you know, and all the stimulation in New Orleans. But you you juxtaposed what I really liked, too, were the older films, the older, you know, early film Ooh. of the festival. Yeah. What well, It's so moving. Talk about that, Jimmy, because you've been, you've been involved well, for so long. I, I am a product of everything you just talked about. You know, that's where I started. Uh I started listening to jazz because we would go to meet my grandfather's ship. He was a ship captain and uh, on a passenger freighter ship when I was a kid. And we would go to New Orleans to meet the ship when it came back from Buenos Aires. And I'll never forget as a 10-year-old kid, a jazz band playing at the dock when confetti's coming. <clears throat> uh, and pop, they're popping champagne as the boat came in. And, and, I, it, it, and it just got, then we would, Traditionally, get off the. Uh, he'd get off the boat. He'd take everybody on the boat. We'd go have lunch at Two Jacks, and it was a family tradition. Uh, and music got involved. And then, when I start, first started realizing that I was going to do this, um, I started at a little junior college north of uh, New Orleans and in Poplarville, Mississippi, and graduated the University of Southern Mississippi, not in not in collegiate terms, in terms of bands I was in, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> which all led, uh, it was, a, I was a folky at the time, and so there was a folk club in Biloxi, and where you could actually get paid to play, and then they had Ho Hoot Nanny Night, and that's how I started, but the Mecca was the Bayou Room on Bourbon Street, which was a folk club right across the street from Pete Fountain's Club, Al Hurt's Club, uh, Ronnie Cole, the Neville Brothers playing right, the, just the two Neville Brothers down the harbor, Frogman Henry on another corner, uh, what the, Chris, God, what's her name, the dancer, she's still, she's still around, I can't remember, but music, that music of New Orleans was there on the street as well as all the burlesque and the strip clubs and all, so, you know, I was, I was 18 years old, and as I said, I confessed in the movie. I was I went there a virgin and I did not come away one. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to do. But you were a that, man with a mission. <laughs> yeah, in that. But then you got you got Cosmo had a studio down where he you know. So the next thing I wasn't a, a recording artist, but I knew about that and I knew the musicians that played there and they were inspiring to me. And the Dewdrop Club where Alan Toussaint and those guys played in the hood. You know, we were we were able to go there. You know, there wasn't any kind of spite or anything like that. You know, in the black community, which which was opposite in the white community in the days of segregation. You know, so New Orleans was New Orleans was Oz to me, and so I I have always had that. And I met Quint, I think in 1973. He had a he had a hippie uh, a shop called the Love Shop, and, and that's <laughs> of course been, he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when when Frank shows, I had not seen. I'd seen the George. I'd had seen George's uh, the film with George and 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 with uh, Mahalia Jackson and Duke Ellington, all which I love watching. But I had never seen Quint marching in front of the parade, and I just hit the floor laughing. I mean, it's just amazing. It's one of my but, favorite things in the film. <laughs> well, I think that's that's what Frank is better than anybody. 
he does it so well in everything, but that's the story, you know, of, of the ups and the downs of New Orleans over centuries. And then you throw Katrina into the middle of it, you know, and, and I had people that w- went and saw that in, in Texas. I was just in Austin talking to friends who went and saw it and they, they loved it and they cried, they said, because they never knew the whole history of, you know, coming from segregation to the hurricanes. And in that, what got them, us through? The music. Pete Fountain, an early jazz favorite of my guest, Jimmy Buffett. I'm talking with Jimmy and Frank Marshall about their new film, Jazz Fest, A New Orleans Story, which celebrates the city and its annual Jazz and Heritage Festival, back now after a two-year hiatus due to the pandemic. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I've watched it, the film twice, and Frank, I really, you're getting, you captured all this joy, and the speed of the film, for me, gives the kind of, made me feel like I was there, and I'm going, I have to go to this stage, I have to go to that stage, I'm going to miss something, which is one of the wonderful (laughs) things I think of having so much, is because you have to eventually release to the fact that you're not going to see everything, which is going to make you come back the following year. And you capture that. And then you have this very emotional part about Katrina, which for me was uh, so beautifully rendered and captures, for me, one of the things that is so beautiful about New Orleans is all of these different influences, but all these people working together and always surviving. I mean, it has such a difficult history, New Orleans, and you really epitomize it in that in that part of the film. Speak to that, because it was really beautiful, very well, emotional. Th- thanks, Judy. Um, yeah, it's a perseverance that, that they somehow pull things together, and I think it's what Quint and Jimmy say in the movie, that Jazz Fest had to go on. You know, there was, I think, a movement in Congress, let's not even rebuild. And they said, no, no, we must go forward. And they didn't know who was going to show up, if anybody. And suddenly they got this call from the police department. There were people lined up down the street. And it was this, again, the flood of joy and celebration because music is a universal language. And it brought everybody back together again. And they knew New Orleans was back. But it's also the the thing I love about making documentaries, because in my day job on features, I know what I'm doing every day. I know every second, you know, we're shooting this, we're doing that, it's planned. It's, but with a, with a documentary, it's a journey of discovery. It's like having a treasure chest. 
And every once in a while, you find a gold doubloon. And the gold doubloon to me was that was that early footage of Quint Davis dancing in front of the band and, and George Ween with Mahalia Jackson in the first Jazz Fest. I said, we got it now. And we got the sound and we have them talking and Mahalia saying, come on down where this is where jazz was born and you need to come see it. And when you have special things like that, it's... Um, you know, it's what makes it so special for me to create a documentary. Mm. Trombone Shorty, recorded live at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, one of the musicians featured in the documentary Jazz Fest, A New Orleans Story. Trombone Shorty has the coveted spot of closing out the festival every year, an honor he received in 2013 and has continued through this year's Jazz Fest. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons. 
Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to Jazz Inspired on your favorite podcast platform and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stride Queen. Although we broadcast on NPR stations, we're an independent production not funded by NPR. Please visit jazzinspired.com to find out how you can chip in and support us. No gift is too small. And please write a review on Apple Podcasts, which is the best way for us to entice others to listen to the show. Thanks for helping us spread the word and celebrate our 22 years on air. I'm talking with filmmaker Frank Marshall and Jimmy Buffett about their new film, Jazz Fest, A New Orleans Story. Something else you captured that I also think is special, and it's a culture. And Jimmy, you can speak to this because you're uh, growing up in the South. Something that I, in terms of visiting and being in Louisiana a lot, and especially New Orleans, but all over Louisiana, I remember the first time I went to a club, and I remember a an 11-year-old boy came over and asked me to dance. <laughs> and it was extraordinary. <laughs> you know, I'm a California girl who then moved to New York, and so I've lived in these two places for years. I cannot imagine being anywhere and having an 11-year-old and, I, you know, ask me to dance. And he came over and I said, well, you know, I really don't know how to dance. He said, oh, that's no problem. I'll teach you. And he was very confident. And then I looked around and there were all these people. There were women dancing together and, you know, old guys and young people. Again, I think of inclusion. And that's something that's so beautiful that you also is, is seen in this film there's people of all ages. And I'm telling you as a jazz musician, this is something we talk about a lot, is getting younger people to come to a jazz concert, a jazz club, whatever. And you've got everybody at Jazz Fest. And I know that the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation, that their mission, I, they have it's a beautiful thing on their site, we teach, we build, we celebrate. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> and they really... Yeah. They think about it because I know I'm always talking about audience development because that's what yeah. we need for the arts. We know that. You're thinking that, Frank, now people getting back into movie theaters, Jimmy, you and I, because of music, it's we need more audience. And I feel that they uh, they really focus on that at the festival of bringing families and all of that. And you capture that. Speak to that. Yes. Well, I... I... I think that's very important to the festival founders and and um, and to the foundation. And I think that that um, Quint says it very well in the movie, where he says, you know, um, yes, it's the, the festival is about heritage and and culture, and it's about looking back, but it's also about looking forward and seeing what's coming. And he was very important to us in his guidance of what we could shoot, because obviously we can't shoot all eight days. And there's, as you know, everything going on at the same time every day. So he was, he was uh, very key in guiding us as to what uh, artists to cover. And that's, you know, who mm. I, I would have never known about Tank and the Bangas or Boyfriend or, <laughs> or Samantha Fish, for example, who I love. 
and yeah. and the the revivalists. Those are the groups and, and artists of the future. And so looking forward and looking back is really important to them. title track from her CD, Runaway. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm talking with Frank Marshall and Jimmy Buffett about their new documentary, Jazz Fest, A New Orleans Story. Frank co-directed the film with Ryan Suffern, and Jimmy is the executive producer, along with Quint Davis. What Quint says so clearly in there is what it's about is you know all of those marching bands you know and i'm a child of the mardi gras and and i know very well and very deeply that the the parrot head thing came out of being a child of the mardi gras and all we simply have done is take what i learned in new orleans and went to every year of my life mm. we took it out on the road but it wasn't a it, it wasn't planned but i it suddenly dawned on me one day when when they started dressing up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and in uh, Hawaiian shirts, that they were in costume. And I went, it's just Mardi Gras. And, mm. you know, we grew up with that. 
and played in. I played in a marching band. I played. I was a drummer and a trombone player. That you know, we all had to do something. And what Quint refers to in there, and it just struck such a note with me, having done it myself, was the number of performers that you're making in New Orleans. And there's that's what lacks to me in my in my humble opinion in the in the music business today is a sense of what a performance and what you owe to an audience as a performer. I completely it's not agree. It's not very much at all. It's it's a it's a it's a quick road to a quick fortune. And that yeah. And like you said, the ups and downs of New Orleans in terms of historical and uh emotional things that have gone on since the 18th century are learned by kids in school uh who go uh to music school. And you look at trombone shorty tank at the bangles and i think that's one of the great things that i love personally about the film was the extension of that culture and that knowledge as performers to those wonderful young performers <laughs> the same way you know frank and i have been known to look alike well we think alike a little bit too because those are three of my favorite <laughs> bands too <laughs> uh, but that's important i i love that one of the one of my goals with this show when I put it together, was people understanding the arts more and, and why we do this and not being intimidated by it. People are intimidated by jazz all the time, I can tell you, as a jazz musician, because people are always saying things like, I hate jazz, but I love you after a concert. And I thought, well, that just happens to me. Then I talked to other jazz musicians. I said, oh, people say that to me all the time. The point being, they need to get there and hear it. I actually had somebody say to me, he goes, oh, no, I love what you do, but I hate jazz. I said, well, what do you listen to? He goes, ugh, not jazz. I mean, something like <laughs> Louis Armstrong. He didn't know that Louis Armstrong was jazz. That to him <laughs> was pop music. And that's my point about people knowing it. And where I think, I will say New Orleans and Louisiana in general with my experience, as I said before, they're great. And I'm coming back to something you said, Jimmy, that that this, how inclusive this is, that this is fun. Don't, you know, if a performer walks out on stage and they do a good job and God forbid we all have fun, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, bring these people in. And you're right, that isn't being, I mean, I can only speak to the jazz world, which I really know, but I don't think that's being taught. There's, you know, when I was coming up, there weren't, there was one, university that had a jazz department. It was Texas, yeah. you know, and the other guys went and they, they, well, I was a German major, so I'm a bad example, <laughs> but I didn't, but they would go and they had to study classical music and then they went off in jazz. And now everybody's studying jazz, but I don't know that they're getting what you're talking about, which is relating to the audience, having fun, bringing this in. Um, every New Orleans musician I know talks about the fact that they got on stage when they were eight, or something, or nine. <laughs> yeah. And it was no, John Batiste just told me that. It was no big deal. Nobody thought, and maybe they played okay, maybe they, but they learned. And that was something else, Frank, that you captured in the film. You really see that with the Marcellus family, where yeah. they talk yeah. about being up there with their dad, and then they're suddenly on stage, and they're in the group. Um, but I, I do think it's what Jimmy said. It's It's a special thing to for a kid to get a trombone when they're in their early days and just go out there and march and see what that's like. And somebody came out of the hood and they're now up on stage and it opens up a whole new world of opportunity.
float me down the river, down to New Orleans. The interviews in themselves uh, added so much, I think, to the movie. I love those interviews. I loved yeah. it. Oh, they were wonderful. And they were quick. I have to just say, this is just my own particular taste. Very often when you have a film and they will go on and on with very long interview sections. And yours were wonderful because they were, they you'd, you'd have something from someone, then go to the music and come back. So it really punctuated it and enhanced it all in a beautiful way. That was one of my favorite aspects of how the film was put yeah. together, just personally. Don't you think, Jimmy? It was really nice. It was the thing that when, when I was, because I was looking at it in clips, because I didn't see it for a long time put together, and then mm. put together not to the final one. But the thing it was that I absolutely loved about it is just what you said. But the fact of it was the music played longer than I can remember. Music was always backgrounds in documentaries. Absolutely. Even, even documentaries about music, they, as you said, they seemed to want to uh, focus on the thoughts of the people and you give any entertainer a microphone they'll talk for a long time <laughs> and i was so glad that there was so much music in what frank did there and just back to another thing we we're talking about you know at an early age you're in a band it, what it was it taught you time i mean that's what i really I'm, i was just sitting here when you were talking about thinking when they they handed me that drum and i was in the drum section of the saint catherine's uh, high uh, grammar school marching band, you had to go left, right, left, right, or else you, the only other place you learned about time was marching in the army, and I preferred doing it in a band. <laughs> but it created, it gave you a sense of time that, I mean, you think about it now, learning how to keep time, as Frank would tell you in a movie or on stage, it's, it's something that's, that's absolutely important if you're ever going to make any kind of splash or even just do it for fun. But, but everything runs in time in music. You know, life itself is scattered like hell, but I think that that's a real factor that whether it's, you know, and, and if you do a show like you do a film for us because you're listening to it, it's only managing the energy. You're managing that you're managing time and you're managing energy and you're taking them up and you're taking them down. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I read, I'll tell you, I read that audience last night and I knew they'd been there for three days. So <laughs> it was hot. They were still having a good time, but I knew the, ta the tank, pardon the pun tank. I knew the tanks were going to get empty. And so I immediately, I cut two songs knowing to go back to keep them at the high energy level yeah, because they needed it as much as I did. I wasn't going in and go do a ballad here. And I just said, we, we're going out like this. Cause yeah. Because they, they, they're, they're saving a little for to go see Zach Brown. You know, so yeah. you got to think like that. And it's timing and, and timing. I learned timing. It's one of the most uh, important things that I ever learned in, in, in being a performer was time. And that started in a little... Exactly. Well, and, you know, time time is everything to us as musicians yeah. because, I mean, you know, the whole thing, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Well, it don't mean a thing if it doesn't have time. And you've got to have great time. And what I'm thinking about this, that you try to explain this to people who aren't musicians, that when you, I always use dance metaphor, but because when you play with people who, who are older musicians, more experienced, all of that, you get the feel. No amount of talk is going to teach you time the same way it taught you 
playing with better musicians, older musicians who knew what to do with time. You get that feel inside of you and you go, oh, that's what it's supposed to be. And it's like dancing with a great dance partner. Even if you're not very good, you know, if you're, you have somebody who's a professional dancer, they're going to take you in your arms and you're going to know what to do. And I think that's very important. And I also come back to the fun aspect because of course being a pianist everybody tells me about their bad piano teacher my you know they're always coming up and saying oh it was so awful my teacher was mean my this and I think of this fun aspect if you get to play with a marching band like you did or you get to sit in with a band you know what from a young age you're thinking of music as something fun and I have to ask you something Frank I know your father was a jazz guitarist and he played all different kinds of music as well and was a producer. But I also know, mm -hmm. because my sources are good, that you once had a job as a waiter slash guitar player. Now you have to tell me about this. I've been dying to ask you. So talk about this. Well, your uh, research is very good. Um, <laughs> I was a... <laughs> I was a waiter, uh, dishwasher, folk singer uh, back in the late 60s at a restaurant called the Randy Tar, mm -hmm. which um, the great thing about it was there was one in Aspen. So you were in Aspen in the winter and there was one in Marina del Rey. So you were in the sun in the summer. No, this sounds like and, a very uh, good gig, Frank. Was, uh, <laughs> It was very good because you could, uh, you know, wait tables uh, up until about 10 o'clock and then I'd go downstairs to the bar. What would happen is I would wait on tables till about 1030 and then I'd go downstairs until there was a bar downstairs and I'd sit on my little stool and I would compete with the bartender who was running the blender and doing the shaker and and people weren't paying much attention. So um uh, I, I did, though, I did get to meet John Denver because he was down the road in Snowmass at a place called the Leather Jug. Oh. And when I think back on on the difference between me and Jimmy and John Denver is that John Denver and Jimmy were writing songs and mm. singing them. And I was just playing Peter, Paul and Mary and <laughs> and. Uh, uh, you know, Gordon Lightfoot and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. so, uh, well, you were a cover I, band. I, I think I took a better path. <laughs> That's right. I was uh, a, cover, a cover band of one. Soloist. Yes, a cover <laughs> soloist. Do you play very often? I mean, is this something that you keep up? Oh, yes. I have a guitar. If we were at home, you'd see a couple of guitars behind me. It's always been a great way to relax. And, um, you know, I love playing uh, on the side. It's It's a great hobby to have. And I grew up in this guitar family, so anytime I went home, you know, I loved playing with my dad and my brothers. And uh, but I think it's probably better for the world that I chose another uh, vocation. Frank, do you remember the first jazz you heard when you were younger? I know you're, we talked about it, that your dad played, but what, you know, loads of things were being played around the house. So do you remember what you first heard? 
Yeah, I think it was probably a guitar player named Howard Roberts uh, mm. that my dad had met and had brought home uh, a couple of tapes uh, of Howard playing. And they became best friends and my dad produced him. And we had a bunch of his albums around the house. But I think the first time I really heard and paid attention to jazz was when I heard Howard Roberts. Howard Roberts from his album, H.R. is a Dirty Guitar Player, produced by Jack Marshall, father of my guest, filmmaker Frank Marshall. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm talking with Frank Marshall and Jimmy Buffett about their new documentary, Jazz Fest, A New Orleans Story, filmed at the 50th anniversary of the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival in 2019. I asked Jimmy if he remembers the first time he heard jazz. The first real jazz that I heard that that inspired me was, uh, again, it was uh, going to meet my grandfather's ship. And and like, again, after he, he... He'd been out. Well, it, he hadn't been to sea because there was it was a, a cruise ship passenger freight. It sounded like a pretty good job to me. And they went to Buenos Aires and stopped everywhere up the Caribbean. So that's one of the reasons I got there. But he also and he brought back. He loved uh, he loved real steel drum music from Trinidad, and he brought back records. And I heard him. I'd never heard anything like that before. And that that kind of got me interested in stuff before I was even thinking of playing. But Getting going into New Orleans off of that ship, the first jazz that I really remember was Pete Fountain because we went to his club. And I've loved Pete Fountain ever since then because that's the first. But then listening to it then way before I ever picked up the guitar. And then by the time I picked up the guitar to do it, it was. And we had talked about I've seen some of the footage that Frank's done of uh, A&M Records and talking to those guys. But it was uh, Brazil 66 and things like that. And then I started wanting to learn jazz chords in my own little world because the girl from Ipanema, Carlos Jobim, that's where I went to from Pete yeah. Fountain. And then, but then I had Al Hurt there and I had, you know, uh, Ronnie Cole was the other uh, uh, guy on the street then. And, uh, but then you heard, and then Professor Longhair, you heard, but it was all coming from jazz. So yeah. that was my evolution of jazz. Mm-hmm. 
Moça do corpo dourado Do sol de Ipanema O seu balançado É mais que um poema É a coisa mais linda Que eu já vi passar Ah, por que estou tão sozinho? Ah, por que tudo é tão triste? Beleza que não é só minha, que também passa sozinha. Ah, se ela soubesse que quando ela passa, o mundo sorrindo se enche de graça e fica mais lindo por causa do amor. I did want to say one thing when we were talking about time and how t time was so oh, important yes. to music. It's also important to the movie, and that is done by our editor, Martin Singer, who, without him, we would not have mm -hmm. this movie because his timing mm -hmm. and his uh, cutting of those little sound bites that go in and out of the music, they have to be at the right place or it, it throws you out of the movie. So... Timing is also really important to the movie. So, uh, you know, it's, it's something we all learn. That's what takes you on the journey, both musically and I mm. think in films, is, is the timing of everything. So really an important thing. But, you know, we all heard Jack Sheldon, Howard Roberts, and Joe Pass, and, and Les Paul, all those early jazz guitarists uh, <laughs> that influenced us as well. So um, uh, this has been a... You know, just a special project for, for both of us. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to do this. I know how busy you are. You just gave your concert. Well, thank you both. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank and you, the Susan. film it is was great. great. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Great, great questions, by the way. No, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to my conversation with Frank Marshall and Jimmy Buffett. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz inspires their life and work. 
I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolph. You can listen to Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired on all podcast platforms and at jazzinspired.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is sponsored in part with generous support from our listeners and Paige at 63 Main in Sag Harbor, New York, serving organic microgreens and vegetables grown on their own energy-efficient indoor and outdoor aquaponic farms. Better taste, happier planet. Visit Paige at 63Main at opentable.com. And please tell your friends about Jazz Inspired and help us spread the word. For more information, visit jazzinspired.com or judycarmichael.com. And special thanks to Jamie Roach for production assistance on this show.